So do you really take your troubles with you wherever you go? Right? I think if you go somewhere and your troubles don't go with you, then uh, maybe it's not about you. Right? So some troubles you do carry with you, but a lot of troubles you don't carry with you. Right? So sometimes troubles are situational. For example, living in Los Angeles or San Francisco or New York City or Washington, D.C., you're going to be much higher stress than living in Sydney or Brisbane or Perth. Right? So wherever you go, there you are, is partly right and partly wrong. Right? You're going to be a different person in different places. Now, if you're an alcoholic or you know, a chronic debtor or spender, yeah, those problems are going to go with you. But you can move somewhere and start sleeping better. You might have more friends. You might make, might make more money. You might thrive. And we're profoundly, profoundly affected by the company we keep, situations we place ourselves in, the jobs we take, the education we get. It's not just all about us and our internal state. So I am in Sydney, Australia right now, heading towards Clavelli Beach. And uh, all the problems that I had in Los Angeles, I've left behind, or almost all of them. Like I feel free of anything that was bothering me back in California. And it's nice, right? When I read the LA Times, this is how I'm reading about a foreign nation. So there's a different vibe here. Right? So any tension about crime, any tension about not having health insurance, tension about dealing with the homeless, crazy drug addicts. You don't have that in Australia. Now, I have certain predispositions towards uh, lack of conscientiousness. Not to, certain amount of carelessness. Those predispositions are still with me. Sorry. certain lack of sensitivity yeah that's still with me certain predispositions towards selfishness that's still with me but you'll only know if you move right you'll only know which problems are just eternally you if you get up, get out, and move. 
just going on a lengthy vacation. So that's the great thing about going on a vacation. You get to reset yourself. Just like when your computer's not working too well, you restart it. So too you can restart yourself. Think how good your computer runs after you shut everything down and restart it. Well, I think the same can go for us. You can just press reset on your system. Every day is a good day in Australia. Right, you might think you're an introvert, but get yourself into such situations and you might realize how extroverted you can be. might think you're neurotic, get yourself in a more relaxed environment, and uh, might not be so neurotic anymore. Afraid of trying new things, and once you get into safety, You not be as scared to try new things. Suffer from lack of conscientiousness. Well, you might find if you improve your relations with other people, feel more at ease in the world feel happier, might enjoy substantial increase in conscientiousness. So there are many traits that we think, ah, oh, that's just who I am. Not necessarily. Forty here. So I was uh, plugging in my iPhone to power it up, plugging it straight into my laptop, and using—is there a C? Is there a C thing? That's where I plug my my 
attack uh, my new stream cam into. Is there like a C thing you plug into? Anyway, when I plugged in my phone to power it up, and we're looking across here to Bondi Beach, plugged in my phone to power it up, like it, it killed my internet. Just killed the internet for everyone where I'm staying. And I didn't know that. It took me a day or two to figure it out. So when I lost my internet, immediately started plugging and unplugging. In the course of plugging and unplugging, you can imagine what happened. I didn't plug the plugs in correctly. And so I created a problem for everyone else. So in my anxiety about technology, I made life worse for everyone else. So I don't know about you, but when I have clarity, that makes everything so much better. And when I don't have clarity, it just drives me mad. So I need a name for things. I need it like a diagnosis. I need an explanation. Oh, mate. I can really lose my cool. So, there's a spiritual lesson here. Just thinking about patience, alright? I'm not a very patient person. And I've come to realize that patience, like a whole lot of virtues, is really only possible indirectly. Alright? It's not really possible directly. And so I can try to work on my patience and it does absolutely no good. And I find that with a whole bunch of other moral issues. Like, if I work on my patience, it's like trying to stretch a tight muscle. Like a lot of people are into stretching and chiropractic adjustment, and it doesn't really work because if the muscle's tight and in spasm, it pulls back into place. And so you, you stretch and stretch a tight muscle, and it's going to pop. Right? You can't get very far. And if you simply adjust your musculature, right, then the muscle spasms are going to pull pull the musculature out of alignment. That's why a chiropractic adjustment only seems to provide benefit for a few hours or a day. Because you haven't addressed the muscular spasm. But when you release the muscular spasm, then the body comes much more into alignment. Everything works much better. So too with with patience, like you can try to, I find you try to develop patience, it just doesn't work. It's like trying to stretch that tight muscle. But what does work is like a change in mindset. So if you go to like a silent retreat, you come back, uh, it's a lot easier to be present and patient. And so, when I'm hungry, angry, lonely, and tired, halt, right? I, I don't tend to be uh, 
so good with your patience and consideration and courtesy and decency and empathy like all these virtues aren't nearly as accessible to me when I'm hungry, angry, lonely and tired so like direct direct working on these particular character virtues doesn't really work for me So, watching out for being hungry, angry, lonely, and tired, and then indirect approaches, such as a whole new relationship with God. So, I've believed in God pretty much my whole life, but I needed God with skin on it. Like, I needed to hear how people with my problem could find access to a higher power that enabled them to overcome this self-defeating compulsion that was also afflicting me. So, God just didn't do it. I needed to be integrated into a community with, with steps and tools and a change in mindset, like a new pair of glasses. That's what I needed. Because just working on patience or working on not under-earning or not debting or not masturbating or not looking at porn or you know, not acting out emotionally with my various compulsions just didn't work. I needed a new pair of glasses, a change in mindset. It's just like uh, releasing a tight muscle instead of trying to stretch it or trying to manipulate the bones. And the bones just pop back into place. And my character defects just pop back into place. Unless I can release you know, the the, the bad habits of character that have got me into trouble. Now I've believed in God my whole life and didn't do anything for my emotional compulsions. Didn't do anything for my addictions, really. So people often say, oh, I'm sober by the grace of God. But they believed in God prior, right? And, and they were still drunk and acting out. So God's not enough. You have to make the decision to abstain and integrate into a community where you learn from other people and you get access to a new way of living so that you're happy, joyous and free and therefore much less likely to be impatient. I don't know about you, but when I'm happy, joyous and free, patience comes much more naturally to me. When I'm hungry, angry, lonely and tired, Patience comes less naturally to me. So, anything I can do to be in a state of emotional equilibrium, to be in a state of emotional comfort. Look at all these helicopters. What's going on with the copters, mate? So many copters working out around Bondi. So, anything I can do to be emotionally stable and calm and happy, that's going to work to the benefit of everyone who's around me. I, I need to get centered and at ease and in reality so the more I can do to have an accurate understanding of reality and of my place in reality then the less likely I am to get into trouble and to act out and to be impatient and rude and lacking in empathy 
They're the more sophisticated, my top-down models for how the world works, less likely I am to be impatient. And the more sophisticated my understanding of how I work bottom-up, what's going on inside of me, right, the more likely I am to be rooted in reality and to be at ease and free, like a free muscle, a muscle spasm that's been released, right, then has much more flexibility, like a lot more room to deal with the ups and downs and the stresses of life. G'day mate, 40 here. Looking at world famous Bondi Beach. So, one of the qualities of being a narcissist is that you want to attach to people you regard as powerful so that you can get power by kind of attaching to them. And so I've always had a whole bunch of uh, heroes and power figures. I've always had people I looked up to and not really understanding the, the dynamics of narcissism. But I was looking for power, right? I was looking for power by trying to connect with powerful people. The uh, narcissist feels like if he can just connect himself to powerful people, then uh, then he'll be okay. Then he'll have power, and people will respect him. Yeah, it's kind of creepy, but uh, that's reality. Now, in my Dennis Prager stage, like I started listening to him in 1988 when I was at UCLA, you know, I. I took many of his maxims seriously. I took him very seriously. I remember my stepmother once said, somebody should tell Dennis Prager that Luke will one day betray him like he does everybody else. <laughs> and uh, so Dennis would, would talk about, you know, what a waste of time it is to watch TV. And so Dennis would suggest these various questions to ask women when you go on a date, such as like, how much TV do you watch? And so I would do this. Like I took many of his prescriptions very seriously and they were often terrible. So one of his prescriptions was, you know, ask, ask a woman on a date how much TV she watches. So I met this very spicy Persian, like very sarcastic. I love sarcastic women. You know, most women not really into sarcasm. But thank God she was. And she was adorable. She was so cute and so smart and so fast with her wit. And so I was chatting with her one evening. So like a good Dennis Prager acolyte, I asked her, how much TV do you watch a day? She said, oh, eight hours. She was, I realized now she was just being sarcastic. She was just like teasing me. And I took it seriously. I was like, ah, I can't date someone like this. It was ridiculous. Like, she was an absolutely adorable woman. And I took Dennis Prager a little too seriously. And I forgot that most people don't really mean what they say. And she was just teasing me, but I took it literally. Because I was so lazy. I couldn't handle nuance. I was so insecure. Couldn't handle nuance. And so to deal with a complicated world... 
I would, you know, try to apply the maxims of Dennis Prager. Like I saw, he's got a successful life. I adopt the practices and attitudes of Dennis Prager, then uh, I'll be successful too. And it didn't work out that way. Like many of his maxims were just terrible. Because people usually don't mean what they say. People almost never mean what they say. So Dennis also recommends that when you've got problems in a relationship, you should you know, write them out and send them in an email. Like, for me, this is terrible advice. This has never worked out. Always just made things worse. But when you're inflexible, when you're narcissistic, when you, you know, you're looking for power, trying to attach yourself to power. Yeah, here's a powerful, influential person. I want to be like this person. Yeah, let me follow in his footsteps. Let me practice his maximum. Let me do what he says so I can be like him. And kind of have a rule book for life. And then apply it inflexibly to people. Forgetting that people almost never mean what they say. Surprise, surprise doesn't tend to work out very well. Ah, mate, let the healing begin. Right? Think wherever you go, there you are. Nothing changes. Well, put yourself here, mate. Let the healing begin. Right? Get out there into nature. It's just uh, like a reset on your system, mate. Everything starts working better. You start working better. Like your, your psyche starts working better. Your central nervous system calms down. It's like when you're in an area with really good Wi-Fi, really fast internet connection, right? you just zip around. All those negative eons coming off the ocean, mate. Magnificent view. I'm on my way to Watson's Bay. Uh, we used to have guns, big cannons, protecting the entrance to the Sydney Harbour. So, uh, there's some truth, but uh, you know, wherever you go, there you are. It's only half true. Right? Imagine you're in a place like this, mate. You don't think you'd find this refreshing? You don't think you'd take on a new attitude towards life don't think you'd be a little more easygoing and everyone around you is relaxed and easygoing you don't think that has an effect on you of course it does recalibrates your system being on holiday having uh, no obligations no pressing financial or personal or religious or moral concerns uh, social demands just you exploring Sydney Harbour with your mates online. My dad would always get refreshed swimming in the ocean. Never slept better than when he was staying by the sea.
sleeping pretty well myself. Enjoying 10 miles a day of hiking. Nice brisk swim. Oh, is this the end of the road? That sucks. Trying to get over there, mate, to Watson's Bay. That's the entrance to Sydney Arbour. What a magnificent sight. here. I'm using my super cheap Aussie phone. So tell me how much you hate it. Like definitely inferior video and audio quality compared to my iPhone with the Shure mic. But uh, I get 80 gigs of data on this plan, on my Australian plan. My Australian phone, 80 gigs of data for 40 bucks. While on my iPhone, I can only buy 15 gigs of data for 50 bucks. Whoa! 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 See those porpoises? Now I wish I had my iPhone. My God. Wow. That's spectacular. That's amazing. Wow, that's amazing stuff. Now I turn face tracking off. I've got, my, I've got another device out here trying to figure out how to turn the face tracking off. Oh. 
a gorgeous day here. Just, is that porpoises that were frolicking? Those whales. Okay, how much do you hate the inferior quality with my cheap Aussie phone here? And cheap quality audio. So, we're looking over here. And to the left will be Clavelli. Oh my god, those, those orphans, uh, dolphins or sharks or whatever they were jumping around were just amazing. Anyway, what do we want to say about the election? No red wave outside of Florida. Okay, it looks and sounds okay. But, uh, Good night for Ron DeSantis. Uh, he exceeded expectations. Bad night for Donald Trump. Like many of the people that uh, he picked didn't do so well. So a lot of poor quality candidates. And abortion seemed to really hurt the Republicans. So, Rick Caruso could be the next mayor of Los Angeles. He's centrist, center-right. He would be certainly my choice over Karen Bass, who's the very left-wing uh, black female Democrat who's running against him. So Caruso is currently holding a slim lead. But overall, poor performance from Republicans, much, much below what was expected. So I think this is primarily to do with the abortion issue and then second, secondarily to do with America becoming much more polarized. So fewer votes are up for grabs. Third thing has to do with poor candidate quality on the part of the Republicans, largely due to Donald Trump. Fourth thing is I don't think Americans like Donald Trump, and to the extent that Donald Trump is lurking in the background for Republicans, I don't think Americans like that. So Kerry Lake was running for governor. So normally, for governor, you primarily want competence. They don't necessarily want ideology. And someone just uh, fell off the side here. Someone just fell off the side here a year ago, taking a selfie with his girlfriend. Fell 30 feet to his death. So, why was Florida so strong? Is it because Republicans have been moving to Florida? And that's why Ron DeSantis did better than expected? But uh, Ron DeSantis went way up in the betting markets. Donald Trump plunged overnight due to the election results. So it still looks like Republicans will win the House. Kerry Lake is sharp. Watch as she becomes a superstar.
yeah, she is sharp. But uh, I think in govern governors' races, people primarily want competence, uh, less than ideology. So John Fetterman won. John Fetterman certainly wasn't sharp. So maybe people don't care about debate performance so much. It's time to buy Bitcoin. Bitcoin is in free fall. So why, why are all these tweets out there saying that people who promote Bitcoin should go to prison? All right. I, I don't get that. All right. Why should one have to foresee every possible danger with anything you endorse? Like, why is it the responsibility of pitchmen to thoroughly and comprehensively study any product that they're pitching? Right? They're just getting paid to perform. They're, they're actors or they're famous people selling a little bit of their fame in exchange for money. But no, I don't think people who endorse Bitcoin or famous people who pitch Bitcoin to go to prison, I don't even understand the mindset that says these people who endorse Bitcoin should, should go to prison. It's not the pitch man's responsibility. So I came out very strongly against Bitcoin about two years ago. So only two years ago did I start reading up on it. And uh, I read about five in-depth articles on it became an expert <laughs> but after I looked into it I just don't see problems that the Bitcoin effectively solves unless you're a criminal so what's going to come out of this election Carrie Lake has just started time will tell but she is ex-media she knows again yeah she is very effective with the media sound bites sounds like she'll be Donald Trump's running mate but uh, as times become more serious, maybe people will put a higher premium on competence rather than sharp sound bites. So that overhanging rock, I saw this Sheila who just uh, climbed out there on that overhanging rock, went over the fence yesterday. I did not join her. I think crime will remain a winning issue for Republicans. And so they spent probably six times, as, five times as much on crime in Pennsylvania as they did on inflation ads, which is good because Republicans don't really have a plan for, for dealing with inflation. And Republicans do have a plan for crime and lock up the super predators. Like, why is it so safe in Sydney? And why is it so unsafe in Los Angeles, New York, Washington, D.C.? because of the super predators, right? If you just lock up that 1% of the population commits vast amounts of crime, you can have safe cities again. So time to lock up the super predators. Right? That's just basic blunt Republican crime platform there. Lock up the super predators and Los Angeles would become a safe city again. Lock them up, keep them locked up until at least past age 40. Because if you let them out under age 40, more likely than not, they will re-offend within three months. Re-offend in the sense of getting caught. Right? How much offending are they doing without getting caught?
So almost no homeless here in Sydney. So I think part of that is the difference in the American ethos of freedom versus the Australian ethos of fairness. So from an Aussie perspective, it's just not fair. People go homeless. Australians are willing to sacrifice freedom for more fairness. So there's more of a sense of collective responsibility. There's more of a communal sense in Australia. Well, in America, it's much more about individual freedom because the United States emerged out of the, out of the pre-enlightenment and then the post-enlightenment, the second British Empire that gave birth to Australia and New Zealand right, had much more of a sense that uh, human beings were rational, were basically good, that you could plan a rational, cohesive, fair society. Well, the people who settled America came here primarily for freedom. Different understandings of freedom, whether they were Puritans or the Scots-Irish or the Quakers or the Cavaliers, but uh, they were still all about the freedom. So one of the downsides of the tremendous freedom in America is all the homelessness and crime. Those are cockatoos, right? It's magnificent birds. America's always been a savage nation. Everyone has always fought each other. But even hard times, right now, yeah. So America has never been as homogeneous as Australia or England, let alone France or Germany, let alone Poland, let alone Japan, Korea, China. So I think Australians would be much more likely to institutionalize the mentally ill. Also in Australia, marijuana is not legal. So I think for a significant number of people, marijuana acts as a gateway drug to harder drugs that fry their mind. You can no longer safely do recreational drugs because of fentanyl. So many people taking cocaine or heroin laced with fentanyl and dropping dead. So the new meth and the new heroin is just frying people's brains, leading to astronomical rates of homelessness. So on Richard Spencer's show, they were talking about how capitalism is responsible for homelessness. But overwhelmingly, the homeless in America, more than 90% are alcoholics, drug addicts, and the mentally ill. Right? That's not capitalism's fault. Right? A large part of that is just drug and alcohol abuse. Now, why do people abuse drugs and alcohol, perhaps at a disproportionate rate in the United States? I think it, maybe it has to do with the downside of freedom less sense of community and so when people are free they're free to do horrible things not just good things oh okay marijuana is legal in the act now for small personal amounts and that's brand new but uh it's just huge in california i mean so many pot shops like everyone's doing marijuana i have not sm smelled marijuana since getting to sydney six days ago. And I don't remember ever smelling marijuana in my two months here last year. So that's really nice. I haven't heard anyone talk about marijuana here. It's not nearly as big a deal, so people aren't frying their minds as likely on drugs. Plus I'm dealing with a really good class of people here on Sydney's eastern suburbs. Okay.
sit down when I pontificate. Pontificating is hard work, mate. Hey, Richard. Okay. So, I expected the Republicans to do better. I'll admit that. I was taken aback. So the pollsters had a pretty good night. Pollsters were basically right about these elections. So, along with the pollsters, the media were pretty much right too. They were more skeptical of the red wave than Republican politicians. Uh, Republicans definitely hurt by Roe v. Wade. Republicans definitely hurt by the quality of their candidates. Crime, though, has to be a winning so, issue. People are just coming in right now. Good. So crime should be a winning issue for Republicans going forward because Democrats can never be as law and order as, as Republicans. And Democrats run all the big cities, which are just crime ridden. So people are just coming in right now. Good. So Democrats just don't want to talk about crime. But it's amazing. Going into the 1992 election, on the issue of crime, Republicans were up 14 points, but Bill Clinton turned it around so that Democrats were thought of as better dealing with issues of crime through the 1990s. And then over the past 20 years, Republicans have generally been seen as, as better dealing with issues of crime by about 10 points. Oh, and now it's up to about 12 points. So, about what is going on yet. I'm just looking at particularly strong issue for Republicans, and it should be going forward. My related question, but it's not directly about the results. Um, oh, yeah, anyway, feel free to feel it or not. But uh, I saw you, you posted the, um, you posted an ad by that. I guess she's running for Congress. Whoa, sorry. So I subscribe to Richard Spencer's ratings journal Substack, and there's a lot of good content on here. You really get your $6 a month worth. I mean, particularly if you look at it for intellectual entertainment, right? You're not looking at, at it for, you know, responsibility and, and truth. But someone who doesn't care about responsibility, just letting it all hang out with uh, hot takes. Very entertaining. Um, yeah, so that woman was running for Congress in Montana, and it was like about abortion, that, that campaign ad, and you just posted the link without any commentary. And I watched, I mean, it's 30 seconds, so I watched yeah. it. And I guess I was, I mean, I didn't like hate the ad, but I guess to me it almost like reflected, I think, my and probably your like kind of ambivalence about the issue. Because I mean, here you have this white woman, very nice, you know, pleasant, middle-aged yeah. woman, and then she, here she has her family, and her, I guess she has multiple. I forget how many daughters, and you know, and, and the ad was not very aggressive. You know, it wasn't like this, the really kind of obnoxious pro-choice stuff. It was very kind of calm, but you know, basically saying that Zinke or how you pronounce his name is, yeah, you know, very anti. I, I don't know. So I, I guess to me, it was uh, you didn't really comment on it. And to me, it was almost reflective. Like, well, these are the kind of people who you, you wouldn't want to have. Well, I know, I know, I know. But it's a, it, it is ultimately a federal issue. I mean, I guess we could get in some comments where we're like, let's have you know, you make abortion illegal in Montana, like mandatory in Alabama. <laughs> um, but I, you know, I. Wait, there's no inherent reason why abortion has to be a federal issue. Uh, in fact, that's the opposite of the 
intent of the founders. Most things should be left up to the states. Don't think that's reasonable. And the other thing is that, like, I, I hate to sound like a shitlib here, but there are many other issues outside of just like natural intelligence and race. And keep in mind that Monica Trinell has had three children, so she's doing fine. You know, she, she's kept up her end of the bargain. The human race will survive. Uh, but I mean, there are serious issues with um, like early prenatal testing in terms of uh, like, you know, Down syndrome, et cetera, that are. Yeah, there are always other issues. Diesel and gas left have no more oil reserves to drain. So, yeah. It's a good uh, good issue to go after the Democrats on. That uh, the, the transition to, to green energy is much slower than the media portrays it. We've only been able to shift about 2% of our energy needs to green energy over the past 30 years. It's just a minuscule amount. And there's absolutely no evidence that green energy is going to be able to supply most of our energy needs for the next 30, 40 years. There's just absolutely no hope in sight. We're going to rely on fossil fuels for many decades to come. And, and it's kind of absurd to, to think otherwise. So what do you do when you've got an issue that you believe in strongly, but that uh, polls really badly? So abortion, right? Many, many Republicans feel very strongly about abortion, but uh, obviously it's a loser as a, as a political issue. So there are a lot of things so that we believe in, in right now. Good. Uh, very strongly, right? That we may not want to impose on other people, that we may not want to legislate, right? Just because you you believe strongly in something doesn't mean you need to legislate it, doesn't need, mean you need to talk about it in your campaign or in your private life. All right? Just because one feels strongly about something, nothing has to inherently follow from that, particularly with politics. So it sounds like it's very much going to be in Republicans' best interest going forward to play down the whole issue of uh, abortion. Right. It doesn't have to be on your campaign website. It doesn't have to be in your speeches. All right. You don't have to try to legislate it. You can just say that morally you're opposed to it. Unless you're in an overwhelmingly conservative state. But Kansas is pretty conservative. And uh, they, they voted strongly for abortion rights. Yeah. And the ad was not very aggressive. You know, it wasn't like this the really kind of obnoxious pro-choice stuff. It was very kind of calm, but, you know, basically saying that Zinke, or however you pronounce his name, is, yeah, you know, very anti- I, I don't know, so I, I guess to me it was, uh, you didn't really comment on it, and to me it was almost reflected, like, well, these are the kind of people who you, you wouldn't want to have abortion. I know, I know, I know, but it's a, it, it is ultimately a federal issue. I mean, I guess we could get in some comments where we're like, yeah, a big win have, for Ukraine. you know, <laughs> make abortion illegal in Montana, like, mandatory in Alabama. <laughs> but Republicans have been all over the place with regard to Ukraine. Many Republicans have criticized the Biden administration for not doing enough with regard to Ukraine, that we have to get tougher, we have to send them, you know, bigger, stronger, meaner weapons. Um, but, I, you know, I just don't think that's reasonable. And the other thing is that, like, I, I hate to sound like a shitlib here, but there are many other issues outside of just, like, natural intelligence and race. And keep in mind that Monica Trinell has had three children, so she's doing fine. You know, she, she's kept up her end of the bargain. The human race will survive. Uh, but, I mean, there are serious issues with, um, like, early prenatal testing in terms of, uh, like, you know, Down syndrome, et cetera, that are... 
utilized by all sorts of people. It's not necessarily eugenic, but it, it seems it, it might be kind of eugenic on a second order. You know, it's like you, the amount of time you're going to invest in a child who has no future. I mean, that, that's really not acceptable. And uh, there are, you know, a lot of these edge cases, granted they're edge cases, but that doesn't mean they're less real of, you know, women where the fetus is barely alive and is, you know, can't survive much longer. And this, they can't be aborted because they're in the third trimester. And uh, this person, this woman is like endangering her life due to this. I mean, these are granted pretty rare, but they're nevertheless real. And I think we should be serious about these things. Uh, yeah, I, I wasn't really meaning that as a criticism. I, I just thought the ad itself was kind of odd because it was, it was just, it was almost like a very wholesome ad. Right. But it's about this very, you know, a lot of the abortion people are just pretty disgusting in terms of how they, um, and, and I agree, the Republican stance, like, well, like no, Sarah Silverman or something, where she's like, you know, I had an abortion and I loved it, or like that. Yeah, I agree. That, that's kind of incongru incongruous. The ad, it was anyway, just how it, it almost like a Republican, like a Republican ad, you know, um, yeah. you know, the way that she was showing off her family and stuff. But um, yeah, another thing about the the um, the uh, you know the, the, the exceptions that they always talk about incest, rape, life of the mother. Well, it's like, you know, yeah. Overall, there's no substantial difference on Ukraine between Republicans and the Democrats. There is with some Republican commentators like Tucker Carlson, but uh, the, the rank-and-file Republican politicians are just as supportive of Ukraine as the Democrats. Was, uh, unfortunately, you know, that's like, uh, we're all like products of rape, so like, you know, in the, in the evolutionary past, I mean, like... That's an interesting point. We're all products of rape in the evolutionary past, so how many generations back do you have to go in your family? Russia should be looking east, not west, only a matter of time before China takes Siberia back. Ukraine war equals very low IQ, says the chat. But yeah, how many generations back do you have to go until you are a product of rape? Right, so I'm, I'm not aware of any uh, raping ancestors in my line, but of course there had to be. And so we have these basic instincts that are frequently not very nice. That's why I don't agree with the enlightenment view that human beings are basically good. I mean, men are basically rapists. They can get away with it, they frequently do. And we are all products of rape. We have that in our DNA. Good point. Not like, people make it sound like this is like a, you know, like a minor thing, but it's like, uh, that does happen, and it happened a lot more in the past. So, um, I mean, to yes. me, that's, okay, well, I mean, to me, it's like, it should be worried if, uh, <laughs> get rid of those genes but anyway that's, that's a separate thing anyway well, i mean just because we are going to change i mean it, it is very true that what you're saying which is that rape and you can't get rid of those genes all right because sex is inherently a violent act right it requires aggression the man has to penetrate the woman and so ideally you want the, the violence you know confined within within marriage but the, the level of, of violence that it takes to conquer a woman Right, that level of you know, aggression, absolutely essential for men. Now, you want it channeled in pro-social directions, but you can't eliminate those genes. It was ubiquitous and that there's no question we are all kind of a product of rape on some level. I mean, what you were saying is factually undeniable, but you know, we're not living in the ancient world anymore or the Middle Ages. Or yeah, you know, I mean, it is, like, fortunately, it is much less common that people are, you know, it's more in the you know generations back. I'm just saying the, the, the Republican types they make it sound like it's you know <laughs> it's like this total fringe thing when it's you know unfortunately not. That is pretty dishonest. Yeah, I, I agree. The other thing, like just talking in terms of like pragmatic things, um, I mean, how do you prove that you've been raped? Like, let's say this like white girl is raped by some black or something, like, and she goes to have an abortion in Texas, and you know, how does she prove that? Are they just taking her word for it? I mean, I think it's fairly unclear actually. 
it's not not to de- not to defend those laws, not not to defend these draconian laws. But as I recall, once these laws were enacted, the provision would say that there has to be a police report, essentially, and the police report has to have been filed within a certain number of days of the of the rapist's occurrence. That, that's okay. how. So you don't you don't need a um, a conviction or something because that, that could take years. Yeah, that's um, right. That's right. Okay. Well, I guess that is fairly reasonable. I'm glad you all added that. But you know, there, look, there are some weird situations. I mean, what about a preteen who's raped by an uncle or her father? It's a horrifying situation like that. That is not, unfortunately, that is not as rare as it should be. I mean, that that's a real thing. And are you going to file a police report on your horrible father? I mean, I, I don't know. It just it's it's horrible. Um, I, you know, I also yeah. But if you're not willing to file a police report, then then uh, maybe there sh- should be some privileges that don't that don't go to you, all right? So many people say horrible things happen to them, but they never bothered you know, to uh, file a police report. So it's uh, a lot harder to take allegations seriously when people don't bother to file a police report. I mean, my grandfather was a, um, a radiologist, actually, in Louisiana, but he went to medical school and he was interning in a Catholic hospital. And it, it just shows kind of how, in a way, reasonable people used to be. Of um, he would, he knew a doctor who told him this um, when he was doing gynecology or OBGYN, whatever it is. Um, uh, and he, he basically, when there would, ha- when there a, a child that would, that would be born that could not survive, uh, the physician would ask the nuns present to go eat lunch or something like that, and he would eat the baby. And it, it was a mercy killing. So my mother, she was killed by an overdose of morphine. My mother. It was dying very slowly, painfully of of bone cancer. She got down to about 50 pounds. She was five feet tall and 50 pounds, and and eventually, around April 28 of 1970, the doctors thought she'd suffered enough. Just gave her an excess of morphine, and it killed her. So I find it hard to get to get upset about about that. I mean, she was she was in pain. She was in a horrible way, and uh, just gave her a little bit a uh, little bit of morphine, a little bit too much. And uh, Richard talks about his grandmother said that you know she didn't want to be on life support, hooked up to life support for years. So I'm not sure if they have a right right to die in New South Wales, but uh, was a big political campaign and I believe it passed and uh, fundamentally that uh, people have the right to die and and uh, they can contract with a doctor to, to kill them and uh, this is this is fairly common in many parts of the western world um, but is he doing the wrong thing like maybe the parents should be involved with that or so on I get it but there was just a certain kind of like realism that I think was present among previous generations. Um, and the kind of unrealism that's present among current pro-lifers that I think is out of control. I mean, one pretty formative thing in my life was something that I don't know if you guys remember, I've heard of, but the Terry Schiavo affair from 2000. So why has the abortion issue become so unreasonable? Because it's become a holy issue. It's become a moral issue. It's much harder to compromise on a, on a moral issue than a pragmatic political issue. And it's become a holy and a moral issue in America because it's a proxy for race. It's a proxy for all sorts of perspectives. It, it unites basically everyone right of center, right? Catholics, evangelical Christians, uh, trads who, who aren't Christian can all, all unite behind a common opposition to abortion. So 
abortion is not really about abortion in America. It's a proxy for attitudes towards race, race and uh, sexuality and more race. I think it might be 2005. It was after Bush was reelected. Yeah, there was a there was a woman who was being she her life was being maintained purely through technology for I think a decade or something like this. I mean, she was brain dead, and her husband, who I believe had like remarried, and I think that added a little like twist to the whole thing. I, I can correct me if I'm wrong on this stuff, but um, he it's wanted to marry. Go ahead. Yeah, he had taken up a relationship with another woman, and they had some kids together. Okay, but still, like pretty normal, like understandable and reasonable stuff, and. I mean, just the idea that you want to go die on that hill, so to speak, of like maintaining the life of someone who is total has no rational faculty or consciousness whatsoever is just right. You'd have to have a faith statement that you need to maintain the life of you know someone who's brain dead, who's hooked up to machines. And that's a that's a faith statement, and uh, it's hard to argue over a faith statement. Right. When, when I encounter someone who's making their, their position just on the basis of a leap of faith, then like, you can't argue with that. There's nowhere to go in that, that discussion. So when these issues become moralized and, and rendered holy and separate from the messy world of daily politics, then uh, they become less and less solvable. Absolutely grotesque in my opinion. And it's in no way trad or whatever because she's being maintained through advanced medical technology. And Wasn't the argument that she's like, oh, well, she still communicates with me and she is kind of still there. Wasn't that like one side of it? I don't think Terry Shido was communicating with anyone. There, was one side, there were family members no. that thought that were being Well, if someone, if someone groans or raises up for a moment, that is So uh, Milo Yiannopoulos is going on Tim Thor's show saying people want to see blood. Does he mean that in terms of civil war? Uh, you know, Milo is very dramatic fellow. He's into excitement and thrills. Uh, I can't take his Christianity seriously until he makes amends to all the people that he needlessly and gratuitously hurt. Like, he was nasty unnecessarily to a lot of people. Just check out Lauren Southern's video. So, Milo Yiannopoulos, like uh, Nick Fuentes, strikes me as someone who's just using Christianity for instrumental reasons. Who cares what Milo Yiannopoulos says? Well, he was the leading right-wing entrepreneur for about two years running up to the 2016 election. So he's played a significant role in this country's political history. He had outsized influence. Very talented, charismatic man. So who's getting back on Twitter? Have you noticed that? Because uh, Elon Musk uh, started allowing some of these old diehards back on Twitter. Yeah, I was just trying to remember like both sides of it. <clears throat> What's so painful listening to the, um, the pro-choice is that it's not so much the outcome, which I think we sort of all, you know, whether the legal or sort of forthrightly agree with, but it's just their um, snide... Um, Cynicism and nihilism, like the, the ridiculously stupid arguments they present about how it's not alive. Like, I have so much more respect for all these blue heads tons. If they just said, yes, it is a child and we have the right to kill it, I, mean, I would gladly agree with them. In the like, there is some type of natural right. But the fact that they're like arguing there's like a blob of cells and other ridiculous shit, it's just. I agree. I think that's painful. 
Well, it's really hard to determine when does life begin. I mean, you can understand that there can be various faith positions on that, and different people can come to to different positions. Uh, man, a lot of helicopters out. So I believe that the, the the generic Judaism position is that life begins when it's viable. So not a lot of rabbis would hold that uh, life begins at conception in the same way it's the same quality of life as someone who's already born trying to like rationalize away something and it's like yeah. there is a spark of life you know when the spark mm. is the eye there's something so let's not like totally lie about this i, I totally agree it's a life form mm. but yeah. it's not yeah. really a citizen you know i mean i think that's a distinction that it's not not really it's, it's not a citizen that's the distinction so yeah dennis prager made a good point the question isn't so much when does life begin but when should the right to life begin. I would like, and and then also there's just a kind of pragmatic realism of like some bad things happen. I, mean, I think one in five pregnancies uh, result in miscarriages, so miscarriages are, are common. And there, there there's the issue of Down syndrome and other um, mal effects like that. And then there are just these granted edge cases. But there, you know when we're talking about an edge case, it's not really like being struck by lightning. I mean it's much more common than one in a million or whatever that is. I mean these really serious issues where like I mean again these are reported out in major publications. I don't think they're lying. There's like there are women whose child like can't make it and is now like in their in her stomach, but she can live. Like it's not a direct direct threat to her life, but there's like a, a possibility for becoming septic or something. It's just like guys, seriously, like this situation is bad enough. Like let's you know you have to allow people to. So I feel like the average IQ of the, the Richard Spencer participant in these group calls on his Radix journal Substack is probably pretty high, around 120. Like. A lot of good quality conversations. Terminate the pregnancy and just kind of move on with their life. They have another child. They, you know, I mean, you've got to just not be this obsessed with this issue uh, and just black and white moralism. Yeah, it's, like, well, it's from it's on a level of like uh, like grad school debate in a sense. The pro-life side, it's almost always presented in these sweeping philosophical abstract. Well, saying that people should not be obsessed with this or that. Uh, Republicans haven't run in part on abortion because it doesn't work. Like, it has worked to unite large parts of their base. Now, overall, abortion is much more of a winning issue for Democrats than for Republicans. But to win the Republican nomination, Republicans have increasingly found absolutely necessary to be uh, pro-life. And sort of these saccharine terms of, like, what well, we love babies and so forth. Uh, yeah, they, don't, they, never, they never do want to get down to the nitty-gritty in the way that we are in this conversation, talking about these cases, like the real impacts these, these things have on women's health, the real difficulties these laws cause in, in the world that we're living in. I just want to make some concern. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, I, I think I mentioned this on one of these calls, like, a year and a half ago, but um, this was back in 2002 or 2003, some, some, around that time. So I was a young man out of college, and my maternal grandmother, my grandfather actually had died, and it was... Uh, uh, a quick and a good death. He was actually out hunting when he died. <laughs> Perfect death for him in many ways because he loved uh, hunting, um, bird hunting. And uh, my grandmother really kind of fell off and she lost her husband. I noticed that. But anyway, um, we were in the hospital. I mean, I, I, was, I talked to my mom about this not too long ago, actually. But we were in the hospital and she was really in a very serious situation and she was being revived. And we did tell the nurses, like, we can't go on this. Uh, like, this is becoming grotesque. And again, according to pro-lifers, I'm a murderer. You know, give me a break. Uh, my grandmother, like, I loved her more than anything, and it was not actually even much of a moral dilemma for both her daughter and my and her grandson. Like, it, 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 we both, this, this, it was becoming sick, and, you know, it, it was just really not a choice. You have to kind of deal with really serious issues like this in life, and it doesn't mean that you're a bad, immoral person or, or something like this. I even remember specifically that my grandmother told me many times when I was a child, she knew someone who was kept on life support for eight years or something. She would always tell me, like, Richard, just pull the blind. <laughs> Don't make me go through with that. It's a kind of torture. <laughs>
And uh, she did tell me that specifically, but even if she had not, um, clearly we made the right decision. What, were we going to revive this woman, if, you know, in very bad health and keep her alive for two more days of consciousness existence? I mean, I, I'm not that cruel. So I just, you know, when you've gone through something, and I even imagine a lot of pro-lifers have gone through a situation like that and don't think of themselves as murderers. But when they're given this dilemma, they kind of like to morally signal. But, you know, you've got to be truthful and realistic uh, about these matters. I mean, it might mean you're a moral person because doing the right thing is hard. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and Richard, to be honest, it wasn't that hard. Oh, another one. We were about to talk about this. is just horrible. Yeah. yeah. Richard, do you remember what the other... I remember the Terry Shino thing was like a really heated debate. What was like the other side saying? Well, they were... They were making, you know, comments like what you made about how, you know, who knows, she might really be there or something. But they were mostly like, slippery slope arguments. They're kind of like, this is going to bring about death panels and, you know, soon we'll just be able to murder everyone who turns 50 or something. I mean, it's just... Yeah, I think the conservative position is that there isn't such a sharp distinction between the fetus and the baby. Remember, the liberal position is that we're autonomous, buffered, strategic, rational basically good individuals. The conservative position is that we're not buffered, that there isn't these clear-cut, clean-cut distinctions between fetus and baby, between brain-dead and heart-dead, that uh, we're not buffered individuals, but that we're part of a community. And so that, you know, what happens to someone who's brain-dead and hooked up to life-saving technology, that 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 still has an effect on the wider community. So it's the difference between the modern liberal, buffered, strategic, autonomous self and the porous self of the traditionalist who believes that we're affected by what's going on around us. It's just ridiculous. Richard, by the way, um, remember our dad... It's not ridiculous. It's just the difference between two different conceptions of self. A traditional medieval conception of self and a modern liberal enlightenment conception of the self. About whether Nick Fuentes was going to advocate voting Republican in the midterms? Oh. <laughs> yeah. It was about the, it, hold on, hold on. Was it about the midterms or 2024? Midterms. Midterms. Okay. Whether you okay. I, I, I know it was for $100, but uh, oh, I, I'm a man of my word. I'll, I'm a man of my word. I'll speak to you. I actually don't, I'm going to, I haven't been watching it. I'm going to do some research and I'm going to screen record it. So, um, yeah, I'll find out. But yeah, I can't okay. say on tonight. I just wanted to say that before. It's like, okay. you, know, you might be able to wiggle out of it because they'll say something like, uh, you know, do, you know, don't so what's the, what's the philosophy of the hate watcher? Lawrence, I get you hate the show, you despise the show. So why do you even watch? You know, some people you know, watch shows that they absolutely hate. I, I never do this, so I don't quite understand the, the psychology or the, the thinking or the predisposition of people who watch shows that they love. I think this came from like late 2020 or 2021. And oh, basically, cool. Dylan was like, oh, but I just listened to Nick Windows and he's just so angry at the Republican Party. He hates them. And what I said, it's like, look, the rubber hits the road. It's like, like he's going to tell you to go vote Republican shortly. Yeah, that sounds like something you would say. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah, much like with the whole Yang Gang phenomenon, or you know, or even I think I wasn't the only one to kind of flirt with Bidenism in some way. Where it's like, well, who cares? What's the difference between Trump and Biden? Trump is not so bad. But you know, again, it's like when the rubber hits the road, they're, they're going to order you to uh, vote for the GOP. Um, all right, all right, Ryan. Oh my God, in Ohio, okay, forty-three percent. Ryan is up. Tim Ryan. Yeah, well, JD Vance won fairly convincingly. What by more than four percentage points in. 
Ohio. No longer such a swing state, much more of a red state like Florida. Before, uh, excuse me, after they count uh, day out ballots. And early voting goes to the Democrats. So, wow, this is pretty interesting. Tim Ryan's up by 30,000 votes. Wow. Are we sure? Veteran is at 25. Holy shit. 18% reporting, and he's up 25. Oh my god, are we seeing a blue wave? <laughs> I should have stuck with my prediction from two months ago. <laughs> wow, Warnock is up four, but that's 62%. That's pretty high. That, that's like a real sample. Hey, Richard, um, I was watching a little bit of Crystal and Sagar. So, yeah, Richard says I should have gone with my gut. How often do we say that? Should have gone with my gut. My gut is always right. I think when Richard and when I say something like that, we all we all tend to have blinkered views. I, I guarantee you that uh, my gut is not always right. I guarantee you that your gut is not always right. I guarantee you that Richard Spencer's gut is not always right. But we have such a blinkered understanding of both ourselves and others. And uh, according to Crystal, she was saying that, that the Democrats are going to end up doing really well because she had some behind-the-scenes data or something. So, Interesting. Yeah. So like, I, holy shit, I should have stuck with my fucking gut. Oh my god, I used my head to boost my gut. Oh my god, that was right. Well, I, um, I think Fetterman's going to win, Warnock's going to win. I'm really hoping Ryan wins. I'm afraid yes. Lake will probably win in Arizona, that obnoxious woman. Um, yes. And Although, let's not forget, let's not forget about Beto. Would you not agree so ideally, you want your head and your gut kind of lining up, all right? When, when it's your gut versus your head, you get uh, you get torn up. So yeah, Lawrence Connor says sometimes I'm interesting, but uh, frequently I leave him uninspired. Okay. Would you mind agree with me? Would with Zachary uh, Lake? <laughs> like twenty years ago. <laughs> So yeah, Kerry Lake is an incredibly compelling, charismatic person, but uh, the compelling and the charismatic don't necessarily make for more competent leaders, right? So people who are good on TV and snappy with the comebacks aren't necessarily more effective at governing.